Hi, and welcome to Democracy, the podcast that shines light on some of the darkest challenges facing the fight for democracy around the globe. Democracy will and must prevail. This podcast is brought to you by the Consortium for Elections and Political Process Strengthening, direct from Washington, D.C., with support from our friends at the United States Agency for International Development through the Global Elections and Political Transitions Award. I'm your host, Adrian Ross. When the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, the future of Ukraine was not certain. Yet this year, despite a peace that has been plagued with chronic instability and political turbulence, Ukrainians are celebrating 30 years of hard-fought independence. Ahead, we sit down with all three of the consortium's country directors to talk about how working together makes democracy stronger. And then, against the ropes, his name is Dr. Iron Fist, but today we'll call him Mr. Mayor. The Honorable Vitaly Klitschko, mayor of Kiev, is just one of the country's many popular mayors. He joins me to talk about his tremendous turn from world title heavyweight boxing champ to mayor of Ukraine's largest city. First, a quick 360-degree look at Ukraine's democracy. As Ukraine marks 30 years of statehood this year, citizens can look back with confidence that their country has made the historic leap from its authoritarian past. While democratic elections and peaceful transfers of power are hallmarks of the modern Ukrainian democracy, this nation has not been without its challenges. In 2004, the Orange Revolution objected to massive corruption, voter intimidation, and electoral fraud in the aftermath of the presidential race that year and brought great hope of progress. Then, in 2014, the Euromaidan Revolution of Dignity rejected the authoritarian direction its government was taking by suspending the signing of an association agreement with the European Union. Meanwhile, Russian military aggression was taking place in Crimea and eastern Ukraine, which remain under Russian occupation today. We're joined now direct from Kyiv by the consortium's three country directors for Ukraine. These guys are among the best in the field at what they do and have been doing this work together for many years in Ukraine. The secret to their sauce, they tell me, is how well the teams work together. Michael Druckmann leads the mission for the International Republican Institute. Peter Urbane joins us from the International Foundation for Electoral Systems. And Ian Woodward is here on behalf of the National Democratic Institute. I first asked them how the COVID situation is on the ground in Ukraine. Unfortunately, you know, again, the disinformation around vaccines and hesitancy towards vaccines, uh, both domestic and also international actors has played a role in this. But we're seeing, again, hopefully, the, you know, by the time we get to spring, we're hoping that uh, things have stabilized somewhat. We work very hard within our programs to also ensure that recipients are kept safe in activities that we are associated with and maybe no more so than in the elections themselves, where SEPS has made a significant effort in ensuring that rulers that would come to the poll were as protected as possible. And data shows very clearly that electoral events that we've had during COVID has not led to a mass spreading event, pardon, because of the work conducted by the consultant and very, very well supported by the Indios Deity. For anyone who doesn't understand how you all partnered together under the consortium, will you please explain the basic setup here? 
for those uh, real people in the world that don't live uh, with acronyms, um, SEPS is the Consortium for Elections and Political Process Strengthening. And we here in Ukraine have been working under the SEPS umbrella for the last 20 years. We have been working together, uh, the National uh, Democratic Institute, along with International Republican Institute and the International Foundation for Electoral Systems, so known as NDI, IRI, and IFAS. We've been working together since 2016 through a USAID-supported project called Ukraine Responsive and Accountable Politics. Uh, we work together. We were independently and together uh, with political parties, the Ukrainian parliament, government officials, civil society organizations, the Central Election Commission, the National Agency on the Corrupt, uh, Prevention of Corruption. And the goal of that work, the easiest way to understand what it is we do, is that we help connect real people with the institutions that want and mean to represent them. Can you talk a little bit about what each partner brings to the table in Ukraine? We have very different recipients, especially when it comes to our um, sex programming in Ukraine. There's a clear tradition just by the recipients that we address. But also over time, I think we've developed different superpowers, things that we on our team have staff that are particularly good at. And in our case, because we deal a lot with legislation, we work a lot in part of it with legislative strengthening and drafting laws and working in committees and so forth. We're every day. Under former President Yanukovych, when Ukraine was really in a very dark period in terms of its democratic development, we were fortunate enough to at that time be working at the local level where really the last remaining democratic, independent democratic actors were city mayors. And that was an area that we were very happy to be in, that we were able to see some glimmers of hope in that period up to 2014. And if we have continued to work in, again, USAID, I think, has done a great job of delineating these areas of responsibility and expertise in the country. And we've continued to expand upon our work with local governments. And that data is not just useful, again, for us, our partners in local government, partners in political parties, but for other USAID programs, whether they be focused on local economic development, uh, the health sector, particularly under COVID, looking at why certain cities' residents are more reticent to take a vaccine than others, and to look at the local level, what are the differences in terms of how you might develop an information campaign? The thing is, uh, we all are focused on supporting different partners, but there are times when we need a bit of expertise from the other. And my personal favorite thing about the teamwork that we have is that we're able to call on each other uh, whenever that's needed and contribute. We, outside of Ukraine, understand that the information space is sometimes compromised and maybe severely compromised at times. How do you walk your work through that? Well, I think the consultant works this issue at all levels and is very well aware of the problems that exist, the challenges, but also that we need to find solutions. At the top level, we try everything we can to help assist our recipients in developing best possible skills of strategic communication and covering uh, disinformation and false narratives. We also believe that it's extremely important that we look at this as a generational issue in that uh, over time, in order for Ukraine to strengthen as a democracy, new generation, the young generations need to be very uh, savvy in the way that they consume information and process it. 
And we all have different programming that addresses that. ICUS, as an example, has a countrywide syndicate education program, currently 40 leading universities all over the country. There's a lot of ways we can approach this and how the partners approach this. The first is, again, going back to data, you know, we have uh, local partners that are the consumers of and, and clients of our data, but we also have national government figures and ministries that can look at our data when we're testing particular disinformation narratives, such as before the 2020 local elections, working with USAID and through the SEPS consortium to monitor in 10 Ukrainian cities, what types of social media narratives we were seeing and to try and attribute the sources of those disinformation narratives, which again, is helpful for a wide range of actors and also for the Ukrainian government to look at what are we seeing and where. And the second area I would say is in my personal opinion is maybe a little more impactful from our perspective working at the local level is facilitating inter-regional exchanges in Ukraine. I think there's a perception outside of Ukraine uh, or has been that, you know, it's a very small country comparatively to, let's say, the neighbor to the east, that everyone travels around, everyone's moving, people travel from the east to the west. And that's that's not true. Prior to 2014, you know, this was a city where all roads, trains, and planes led to Kiev. Uh, that if you grew up in eastern Ukraine, you went to university there, you went to work there, you spent your summers at a cottage outside your city, and you went on vacation to Turkey or Egypt on a package tour. Similarly, in Western Ukraine, you you weren't traveling between these regions, and uh, you know having these bubbles of isolation in different pockets of the population uh, naturally can create breeding grounds for separate narratives. And so, when we look at the disinformation issue in Ukraine, it's not necessarily East versus West or Russian speaking, Ukrainian speaking. It's a matter of have people had contact, know each other in other cities. So if we can bring a city council from Eastern Ukraine to Western Ukraine and vice versa and have them work on a specific issue, but also as sort of a force multiplier, establish other connections at a more personal, practical, professional level that they can then take back to their communities and say, no, actually I was there in city X or Y, and this is what I saw with my own eyes. You all are looking at the possibility of going back into lockdown. How has COVID affected this disinformation space, Ian, and, you know, have you had to change your way of doing business? One of the indirect ways to, to combat disinformation, obviously, is to build trust uh, in institutions that are communicating uh, real information, fact-based information that, that we need people to understand or that the government needs people to understand and listen to. And so working directly with our partners to help them really communicate better and cut through some of the disinformation environment is very, very important. There is a lot of disinformation in Ukraine that is both homegrown and coming from outside Ukraine about the virus, about the vaccines. And uh, we have had, as, as we discussed earlier uh, in the segment, um, we have had rollout the vaccine go pretty good and considering we're at the early stages, but there is some hesitancy here. Has COVID changed the way we do business? It has changed almost every element of the way we do business. Uh, NDI, IRI, and IFIS are organizations that specialize in bringing people together. The most difficult thing to do right now is to actually bring people together. We bring people together to learn from each other. We bring people together so that they can learn together and build community because it is through the community building that you're able to do difficult things like reach political consensus or to uh, promote a political party. 
So uh, all of our activities have had to change as a result of this. It sounds to me really like Ukraine has has stabilized quite significantly at this time. Is that a, a misconception? Um, Michael, do you want to start us with this question? I don't know if it's a misconception, but things can change here so rapidly. Take, for example, the election of 2019, when, you know, if you went back even a year prior, you, you would not have seen any, the three of us at a table talk about the electoral result that we had in 2019, where we had a brand new president, someone brand new to the political scene, really bringing in a new movement of people that not just followed an election through their phones, but then went to the ballot box. And so seeing that change in politics was quite incredible. What we're seeing now, what I would say, you know, particularly from where the SEPs consortium is positioned, both looking at the national level, looking at the legislative agenda, the reform agenda, but also looking at what's happening at the local level. I think while we're, we've seen great success with the decentralization reform launched by the previous government under President Poroshenko that's continued through President Zelensky's administration, we've seen the rise of incredibly popular local mayors. Uh, and not just in one region, but in Mariupol in eastern Ukraine, several in western Ukraine, where traditionally we've seen very high levels of s- satisfaction, but cities in the center like Kropovnitsky and Chernigov also increased their ratings and therefore increased their political influence as well. And I think what we may see down the road is greater friction between the national level and the local level, as again, local authorities have been granted so much new authority. And so seeing how that relationship between the central authorities, which are represented significantly by one political party that does not have much influence at the local level, how they interact with these other different political actors with smaller political parties is going to be something very interesting. If you look back to the 2014 Revolution of Dignity, you can see a demand from the Ukrainian people that has really not faltered in any way, even through the change in um, leadership at the top level in 2019. And that demand is that government really uh, is responsive to the needs and opinions of citizens. That change, I think, was an irreversible one back in 2014. You can see it in the data that that we collect is that this demand is strong. The desire for citizen participation of all kinds is extremely strong. People really, really want to see government listening and delivering. I think we're seeing you know, state improvement and certainly seeing the fruit of, uh, of our work and the work of all of our partners uh, around Ukraine. And it, this does not mean that democracy is stable and strong. It is still something that needs to be nurtured very, very carefully because I, I think as we go into the parliamentary elections in 23 and the presidential in 24, we might have a highly competitive environment uh, and a quite fragile and neutral uh, situation. And hence, there's a significant need for further strengthening of all aspects of the political and electoral process. What role do you think the international community should play in helping Ukraine in the future? There's a very strong will in Ukraine to continue uh, strengthening uh, society in general and democracy as we work on it. And I think that includes a very strong will to partner with uh, the international friends of Ukraine, be they nations, be they organizations, be they individual personalities and experts and so forth. So 
it is an extremely conducive environment to work in where there is an openness and a collaboration to what we all bring to the table and a true sense of partnership between Ukrainians and us. And that makes it, I think, an, an environment where the investment that we make is uh, really leveraged quite well. I've been here throughout the pandemic, and one of the things that I think has hurt Ukraine in the last year and a half is the fact that we have had less interaction in Ukraine with international visitors than we normally would. Uh, that that lack of direct person-to-person engagement comes at a cost. But I would think that one of the best ways the international community could help is by coming and seeing the amazing people that we three see every day and uh, really listening to our partners and hearing about the things that they are trying to achieve, the things that they are achieving, uh, the struggles that they're having and the help that they need to, to really, you know, finish the last mile. Uh, on whatever it is they're working on. I think it's also important to think of how, and as something that we see and is, I think, widely becoming more recognized is how Ukraine wants to play a bigger role itself in working with the international community and, and tackling some of the bigger problems. Uh, you could see that just recently in Afghanistan, where Ukraine leveraged its expertise and heavy airlift capacity to help with the evacuation, actually deploying Ukrainian special forces to facilitate that. Again, not a member of NATO, not in the EU, but being right there during the pandemic, again, helping fly PPE around the world. We see what's happening with Eastern Ukraine uh, and Crimea, uh, facilitating the Crimea platform event just last month uh, to, again, to draw international attention, not asking for assistance, but to formally sort of bring together partners on an equal footing on how we tackle returning the uh, illegally annexed territory. And I think something that international partners should look at doing is how can we help Ukrainians leverage their expertise in addressing some of these issues. So when it comes to the temporarily occupied territories in Donetsk and Luhansk, how can we facilitate those Ukrainian citizens, NGOs, local officials, local businesses that are doing very well in government controlled Ukraine to be an example for what's happening just across the line. So that when Ukrainians come out of occupied Crimea for government services in Kherson, they see the dividends of the Euromaidan revolution and decentralization and have something to contrast. And lastly, I would say to help Ukraine leverage its multilingualism and multiculturalism to be a real beacon in the former, let's say, former Soviet space, Eastern European space for those in Belarus, those in the Russian Federation. Ukraine provides an, an amazing, not just example, but the complete antithesis of what those citizens see on their TV is happening and the types of opportunities that citizens can have here. When I think about the inspiration that, that I have to do the work that we do, uh, it really comes from our partners. And in particular, there is an energy and a desire and a drive to really change fundamentally the relationship between government and people. And that energy and desire and drive really is best personified in the, in, in the, the those two groups, really the, the young and the women leaders, uh, in Ukraine. And if I was, you know, if I was going to give uh, a guest to Ukraine, a tour of what we do, that's where I would start. Ian Woodward, Peter Urbane, Michael Druckmann, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for showing us how much better we are when we work together. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. As we just heard, one of Ukraine's key to successes has been the triumph of the local mayor. 
And today we're joined by one of those Ukrainians, the mayor of Kyiv. The Honorable Vitaly Klitschko is a former world heavyweight boxing champion. He held the world boxing title from 1999 to 2000 and has defeated 15 fighters for the world heavyweight title. Suffice to say, he is a big deal in the boxing ring. He's also a big deal among Ukraine's mayors. He joins us now to talk about governance and what it's been like to lead Ukraine's largest city since 2014. Your rise to politics has been a little unique. First, can you tell us if any similarities exist between being a professional boxer and the fight for democracy? Uh, to be honest, uh, to be the heavyweight champion of the world will be much easier as to be the politician in Ukraine. Uh, the Ukraine is a pretty young country, just 30 years uh, independence. We celebrate a couple uh, months ago. But if uh, compare uh, sport life and political life to compare to boxing, it's uh, the political... Uh, Actually, no clear rules in uh, Ukrainian politics. I can compare Ukrainian politics similar not with the boxing, but much more similar with MMA. But uh, <laughs> it's my goal to bring real, clear rules uh, like in sport. If you uh, break the rules in sport, you pay penalty or disqualified. Uh, that's why uh, we we try to give the exactly the same this exactly the same uh, standards in uh, Ukrainian politics. Well, I laugh, but but we both know democracy is serious business, and and the United States struggles just like every other country struggles a bit with democracy. So I, I certainly appreciate your response. Uh, switching gears a little bit to to more serious topic, when we we talk about the war in Ukraine. Can you tell me how the war has changed or influenced your role as mayor after the Euromaiden revolution? The war changed life every Ukrainian. We Ukrainian pay for democracy, for our way, European way of development of our country. Pretty big price. The price is more than 10,000 lives and uh, more than 30,000 uh, citizens of uh, our hometown go through the war. Right now, I don't need to explain, everybody understand. This war in uh, east of Ukraine make with huge support of uh, our east neighbor of Russian Federation. Uh, because everybody understands, without uh, media war, uh, brainwashing. Based on what you just said about how difficult it has been with the war, the citizens become more important than ever in this circumstance. Have you had to rethink how you talk to your, your constituents, the people who vote for you? Have you had to change? Uh, right now, uh, we understand how important uh, the great result a very fast result in our country, result for which feel every citizens uh, in Ukraine. And that's why uh, I have a great answer, the best answer for our friends and also for our enemies, our success, our political success, our economical success, success of our country. And that's why I do and uh, I make my job nonstop and to deliver uh, to citizens, in, especially in self-government, I'm responsible for capital of Ukraine, new infrastructure object. Uh, 
uh, new roads, new uh, preschools, new schools, parks, bridges, uh, and uh, it's uh, and show the local government works so well. We talked a little bit about what's difficult about being mayor. What what have you enjoyed the most about being mayor? I'm enjoy because uh, I change the life every day of the people, and uh, uh, I enjoy much more than anyone. If I go to the street and uh, check the objects, uh, check the new roads, and the people come to me and told. Mr. Mayor, thank you very much for your job. We enjoy so much new preschool where we go, where go our children. We enjoy new road if we drive. Uh, we see the changes in our city, and uh, it's much more enjoyable part of my my job. And they're seeing results from democracy. It sounds like. And uh, they see the feedback of people who enjoy and see the results. What you're doing. And they is very appreciate, and uh, it's actually biggest part and uh, biggest enjoyable part of my job. Kiev is one of the largest uh, city in East Europe. We calculate the people who live in our city with cell phones, with uh, JSM operator. And I told us uh, during the night in our hometown sleep 3.6 million people. During the day, uh, the people come from many districts to, to our city. For it's uh, 1 million more. Kiev, uh, it's very green city, one of the greenest city in Europe. We have a lot of parks uh, and green zone. We have a lot of islands in uh, our central. It's very historical city. Everyone who come to our city very surprised how beautiful is the city. Uh, European city has how gas friendly people live here, and that's why I'm as mayor of Kiev. <laughs> use uh, the moment and want to invite everyone welcome to Kyiv, welcome to Ukraine. I promise you receive here in Kyiv unforgettable emotion, positive emotion about this trip. The city is really beautiful. And um, if you find the time, always welcome. Well, that is that is quite an invitation, and I think many of our listeners will probably take you up on that. We do, though, here in the United States in particularly, see a lot of different headlines from Ukraine about a real struggle for democracy. How do you think your constituents feel about democracy, and how do you think it's doing overall in your country right now? It's a political fight and competition between the ideas uh, yeah, it's very good for, for democracy. And with this point, Ukraine have a huge difference from uh, uh, our neighbors. I mean, uh, Belarusia or Russia. And uh, after revolution of dignitary, we uh, take the choice to build real democracy and uh, European uh, or uh, democracy values for us uh, is a uh, priori- priority. I'm skeptical sometimes. Many countries celebrate also 30 years independence. For example, uh, Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia Republic, um, Hungary, uh, the former Soviet uh, bloc, 
when iron curtain fall down these countries have we everybody have the same start position and we see how our neighbors for example poland uh, actually do it pretty well uh, development in this way they already part of european family european union uh, make huge progress and we in uh, 30 years uh, declare a lot but not implement so many ground points uh, for development of our country for our independence for our democracy that why we Ukrainian continue our fight for you for our values for our goal for our vision to be really democratic European country Ukraine we fighting for that and uh, it's not easy fight it's uh, a lot of challenges in this way because all changes starting from the heart of the country from capital from Kiev and that's why uh, it's my personal responsibility to change not just the capital of Ukraine, to change, I'm responsible also for whole country, because Kyiv show example for every cities, for every villages, for every Ukrainian. Is that key, do you think, that approach that Kyiv is responsible for the country, has that been key in your success? The key of success, uh, you have to do it uh, well and give the best, uh, everything from depend of you to be successful. Uh, successful of one personality, communicate with success, uh, thousands or millions of people, it's bring the uh, result, the success of the country. And that's why we're hungry. We're hungry to be successful. And because no fight, no win. We continue our fight for our hometown, for our home country. And uh, the question of the time, we want to do it fast as possible. And thank you one more time for all friends who support Ukraine, who support Kyiv, who support my home country to be successful democratic country in the world, to be the big family of democratic countries. Mayor Vitaly Klitschko, thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast has been produced by the Consortium for Elections and Political Process Strengthening through the Global Elections and Political Transitions Award and is made possible by the generous support of the American people through the United States Agency for International Development. Opinions expressed here are those of the host and the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of USAID or the U.S. government and is produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media. For more information on Democracy, the podcast, and to access the complete archives, please visit www.seps.org forward slash podcast. <laughs>